My title for us this morning is Christian Integrity. Christian Integrity. Let me begin by saying this. I'm sure that you can infer by my title that we're talking about a couple of things. We're talking about Christianity, and we're talking about integrity, but I want to be careful that you and I don't dislocate those two ideas because I don't want to talk about Christianity in general, and I don't want to talk about integrity in general. I want to talk about what kind of integrity? Christian integrity. I want to view those two items as a singular item by way of Deuteronomy chapter 16 today, because I don't want to talk about something in general. I want to talk about it in view of what the Bible says. It's Christian integrity, not simply integrity. It's Christian integrity and not simply integrity because integrity for its own sake is something that might earn someone a reputation among a particular group of people, but Christian integrity serves a purpose. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16 when he said, do your works in such a way that others might see them and glorify whom? Your Father who is in heaven. In other words, when we do things, live out our lives the way that we do, we don't do it for our own fame. We do it for whose fame? God's fame. That's part of Christian integrity. In other words, someone who might live a life that possesses what we deem to be integrity might earn a reputation among some people, but we don't live our lives so that we can have a reputation with people. We live our lives the way that we do so that God can receive a reputation among people. That's what Christian integrity is all about. Christian integrity is about those things that are noticeable. Christian integrity is about those things that are distinguishable, those things by which we are known. Let me just practice a little exercise with you, and you'll get my drift. If I were to say, for example, or to ask, what are the things by which zebras are known, you would say, stripes. Very intelligent group of people today. <laughs> if I were to say, what are the things by which zebras are known, you would say? I would say necks, but stripes are okay too. Oh, I'm sorry, I said, I said zebras, didn't I? Okay, my, 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 my mouth is not moving as fast as my brain. What I meant to say was giraffes. Necks, thank you. Again, you're sharper than I am today. It's been a long day already. What time is it? The reality of the matter is there are things by which we know people, places, things. These are markers that are representative of what they are. But what are the things, what are the markers by which Christians are known? What are the things by which People can identify Christians. Well, there are a handful of things, arguably, but this morning I want to focus on two things. Two things that constitute what I believe are Christian integrity, justice and worship. Two things, justice and worship. In fact, those are the two points that I would like to speak to you from today under this title, Christian Integrity. So without any further ado, if you're ready, say amen. 
We're going to begin with our first point this morning, which is justice. Looking back at Deuteronomy 16, verse 18, it says, You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with what kind of judgment? Righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe. Because a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice, and only justice, you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, under this title of justice in these verses, verses 18 and following, there are a couple of things that I believe are worthy of note. First, I think that we can gain from this text That Christian integrity includes justice. And this justice isn't just personal justice. Where we might say in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus says, As you wish others would do to you, do so even to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That would constitute what we call personal justice. We want individually in our interpersonal skills and relationships to have justice. Everybody would want that. But that's not what we're talking about in Deuteronomy 16. We're talking about something different in Deuteronomy 16. Not personal justice, but public justice. God wants his people to have a just society. Let me say that again. God wants his people to have a just society. Look at what it says. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you. And that is, there should be law and order. There should be a rule of law. Not because God is a cosmic killjoy and doesn't want his people to have any fun. But because a society without law becomes a danger to itself and a danger to its citizens. It doesn't reflect the order and design of God and his creation, and therefore, as part of Christian integrity, our view should be one of justice. So what exactly does justice mean? If we're going to aim at having a society that has justice, we will need to define that term. Well, it means, among other things, that you believe in right and wrong. To believe in justice, among other things, means that you believe in right and wrong. Without right and wrong, there can be no justice, because if right and wrong are continually redefined, then justice has no bearing on anything. Justice exists because right and wrong exist. Without right and wrong, there is no such thing as justice. And I don't mean right and wrong as it is defined by the culture which one decade might say this is right and wrong, and in the next decade might say that's no longer right or wrong. It's not in the eye of the beholder. Right and wrong is prescribed by, uh, to us by the Bible, the Word of God. Psalm 19.8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right. The precepts of the Lord are right. In other words, if you want to know what is right, then you have to know the Bible. If you want to know what is right, then you need to know the Word of God. But here's another point worth noting. To hold to justice 
and right and wrong, as it's taught in the Bible, means to be uncompromising. It means to be uncompromising. God says, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not take bribes, because bribes blind the eyes of the wise and subvert justice. If we say that we believe in right and wrong, but we're willing to compromise our principles when it suits us, then we don't really believe in right and wrong, and we don't really believe in justice. We live in an interesting time in the United States, times that show us that organizations like the Department of Justice are willing to be an apparatus for political preferences depending on who might be in office. This happens from left to right and right to left. We're releasing criminals because we've diluted the definition of crime. We're not prosecuting crime because our jails are overrun with criminals, but we're not being fair when it comes to how we should unfold punishment with those that we are punishing either. This isn't justice, and this isn't, of course, Christian integrity. What makes Christian integrity just is is whether or not it constitutes fairness in the eyes of God and by the word of God, not according to a group of people who are louder than we are. In God's word, right is right and wrong is wrong, and it does not change. That's justice. Not according to what the culture says, not according to what the country says, not even according to what the Constitution might say, but according to what God says. If we're going to be Christians who possess integrity, then one of the most important features of that integrity must be justice. We have to believe in what is right and what is wrong, as it is prescribed to us by the word of God. But secondly, we also must have integrity when it comes to worship. Let's look at the next section of our scripture this morning. It says in verse 21, You shall not plant any tree as an Asherah beside the altar of the Lord your God that you shall make, and you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. So the first thing under Christian integrity that we're learning today is that if we're going to be Christians who have integrity, we've got to hold to biblical justice. Secondly, We've got to hold to biblical worship. And by that, what God is saying is that it is not okay that you do worship however you want to do worship. You must do worship the way God says to do worship. Amen? It isn't up to our prerogative. It isn't up to our preference. If we are going to do things the right way, a way that honors God, then we must do it the way that he has prescribed. There's a couple of things worth noting before we get into the text here, two things I think in particular are worthy of note, and that is this. When we talk about worship in a church setting like ours, there are typically two philosophies that are adopted, the regulative principle of worship and the normative principle of worship. The regulative principle of worship says 
that Christians should only do those things that are clearly outlined in Scripture. And for this reason, some churches who hold to the regulative principle of worship don't have instruments. You come to church, you sing psalms that are found in the Bible only, and there are no instruments because David didn't have electricity. So they, they don't plug anything in. There are no instruments. It is all a cappella led by someone who is singing literally from the book of Psalms. That's the regulative principle. The second option is the normative principle of worship. And in the normative principle of worship, we're saying that Christians should do those things that are clearly outlined in Scripture also. But it's also acceptable to do something that isn't forbidden in Scripture. In other words, if the Bible doesn't explicitly say you are not permitted to do this, then within biblical grounds, we do it. So we do have electricity here in our church, for example. Sometimes we see churches go way off, however, on this principle. I'll give you an example. I've got a friend of a church that's well-known, a little ways north, farther north than CF, so don't start with the uh, gossiping. And he's the executive pastor of a very successful, well-known church here in South Florida, and they were doing a series on prayer. So every weekend they opened their service with Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. So obviously we had a bit of a scuffle about this because my issue is this. Just because the word prayer happens in it doesn't mean it's a Christian song. This is stupid. Oh, but we're drawing people to the church. And I'm saying, yeah, but you're giving them the bait and switch because you're drawing them, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is if you believe in the good news of Jesus and what he's done for you as a sinner and a savior, then you will be saved. Bon Jovi is not a savior. I don't think anything against Bon Jovi necessarily. I'm just saying. It's a great song, but it's not a Christian song. When it comes to the principle of worship and doing worship in a way that constitutes Christian integrity, this is the principle. Everything that we do has to honor Jesus. That's it. Everything we do has to honor Jesus. If what we're doing cannot honor Jesus, then we don't do it. So the question is, can I sing Bon Jovi to the glory of God? I think the answer is no, I, I can't. I mean, first of all, there's only one Richie Sambora. Nobody's going to play the solo like Richie did. And in addition to that, it's not a Christian song. So in a, set, in a worship setting, we can't play that song with a clear conscience and say God is being honored right now by the fact that we're playing Bon Jovi in church. To an extent, friends, that's exactly what is being taught here. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, a worship service should uplift the Lord and build up the saints, not puff up the participants. The worship service, though you should enjoy it, is not about you. The worship service, though you should grow from it, is not about you. 
The worship service, though you should anticipate it and be excited about it, is not about you. The worship service is about God's people coming together to worship God. The worship service is not about guests or Christians. It's not about immature Christians or mature Christians. The worship service is always and forever about Jesus. And so the scripture here says, when you come together, don't make an Asherah pull. In other words, an Asherah in ancient times was a Semitic god. And interestingly enough, the Asherah was a goddess of fertility. Now, I'm going to turn a corner here and say essentially what God is saying is, I created you, I saved you, I redeemed you, I delivered you, I gave you purpose Don't wander off and worship false ideas or false gods. Isn't it interesting, though, how false ideologies and false religions attack gender and attach themselves to anything that's contrary to the Bible? For example, when Jesus was here on the earth... His disciples said, teach us how to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray something like this, our Father who is in heaven. Right? But the world teaches us to love and respect, other words for worship, Mother Nature. There is always an attack on gender when it comes to false ideology or false teachings. We're taught in the Bible that God made them male and female in his image and likeness, men and women. But we live in a time when people can't define woman unless it's a man who says he's a woman and then it suddenly can be defined. We've lost our way. And we've lost our way in worship because we've lost our way in justice. And some of you who are male are to blame for this because you have mothers, you have wives, and you have daughters. But when it comes to this issue, you're quiet like a mouse. And you should be speaking up for justice. And you should be speaking up for women. In our country right now, we have lost our way on this issue when a potential Supreme Court candidate cannot answer a question What is a woman? But we entrust that same potential Supreme Court justice with the responsibility of interpreting the Constitution. We've lost our way. That's when you know justice is privy to whoever is in control. Know this. It is not accidental that the false god the Lord is warning his people about is a goddess. It is not accidental that we are continually being pulled away from what is clearly and has always been clear. This issue of God having created men and women, male and female, because if we can be compromised on the basic tenets of biology, then nothing makes sense anymore. 
not justice and not worship. But if anywhere there should be a belief in justice, if anywhere there should be a belief in worship, then it should be in the church. It should be among the group of people that hold to, without reservation and without compromise, the word of God. To have Christian integrity means not only to believe in justice, which is to believe in what is right and wrong as it is prescribed in the Bible, but it is also to worship God and God alone, regardless of how unpopular it might make you, regardless of what the world says, because to be a Christian with integrity means to do things the way that God says they should be done, not the way CNN says it should be done, or the world, or whatever news outlet it is. The only source of authority in our lives should be the Word of God. To close, let me say this. Everything is known by something. Zebras are known by their stripes. Giraffes are known by their necks. Elephants by their trunks. But Christians should be known for their integrity. Two ingredients of which are justice and worship. We do not compromise on what is right and wrong, and we do not compromise on the God we serve and obey. Now, there are a lot of different options being sold to us. There are a lot of different options being suggested to us. And everything is okay as long as you're not a Christian. I love what G.K. Chesterton said years and years ago. If you don't believe in God, it isn't that you believe in nothing. If you don't believe in God, you believe in everything. And isn't that the case? We bump into agnostics and atheists all the time, and they don't believe that there's a God, but they really hate him. I've never seen somebody who doesn't exist receive so much hate. <laughs> and beyond that, they believe in anything, absolutely anything. We're going to transplant wounds. Let's do it. That's great. There's UFOs in New Mexico. Absolutely, of course. I saw one in South Miami yesterday. <laughs> the politicians are innocent. Of course they're innocent. Not your politician, just mine. No, they're all crooked. Maybe not as crooked as the next guy or the next guy, but they're politicians. To be a Christian means we don't get involved in that. To be a Christian who has integrity means that we always call right right and wrong wrong. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle the issue falls because we are not locked in to this or that party. We're locked in to God's word. And beyond that, when it comes to worship, we don't compromise on worship. On Sunday mornings, we get together and we worship because God's people are taught to do that in the Bible. And that is what comprises Christian integrity, wherever you may find yourself today. My challenge for you, my encouragement for you, is to pray about where you can sharpen your integrity 
as a Christian moving forward this week.